Welcome to the Creative Entrepreneur Podcast, where mindset and marketing meet purpose, passion, and profits. I'm Bob Baker, and if you're a creative entrepreneur or someone who runs a heart-centered business, you're in the right place. To get a free collection of sample chapters from my books and audiobooks, just pay a quick visit to promoteyourcreativity.com. That's promoteyourcreativity.com. Now, enjoy the episode. Oh my God, are you in for a treat with this episode? My guest is Laura Hall best known as the piano player on the TV show Whose Line Is It Anyway. That's right. I am thrilled because, as you may know, I have been performing improv comedy here in my hometown of St. Louis for decades. And in the last two or three years, I have been really immersing myself in teaching and performing it. And since I play the guitar, I've been adding more and more musical improv. So I've been aware of Lara and watching her on TV and on YouTube through all the different incarnations of the American version of Whose Line Is It Anyway for years. And so that's why I'm particularly thrilled about this one. In fact, it was so in-depth and she was so generous with her time. She has such a great attitude. I had like an hour's worth of the interview and I'm actually going to be doing it in two parts. So this is part one of my interview with Lara Hall and we talk about not only the Whose Line is in any way show, but we talk about uh, the role of music in improv and how to incorporate improv principles into your life and your career. There are a ton of lessons to be learned here. I'll start that interview in just a moment, but first I just wanted to let you know that this episode is being brought to you by The Empowered Artist, which just happens to be my latest book. It's a call to action for musicians, writers, visual artists, and anyone who wants to make a difference with their creativity. And if you go to the website I'm about to give you, you can actually enter to win a free ebook copy, an ebook version of The Empowered Artist. And you just go to empartist.com. Just take the first three letters of the word empowered, EMP, add it to artist.com empartist.com. Go there and you'll see the link to uh, enter to win the free ebook copy. And so I hope you go and check that out. And now let's get to my interview with Laura Hall. You are listening to The Creative Entrepreneur, Season 2, Episode 11. I am so thrilled on the Skype phone with me right now is Laura Hall. Hello, Laura. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And this is a real uh, thrill for me because uh, this is actually not our first meeting because uh, we, we met almost a year ago when you you and Rick, your husband, were coming through St. Louis and you did a musical improv workshop that I attended and we had a chance to meet then and actually perform that same night, right? Yes. We do We do a lot of workshops like all over the country. We travel a lot and do them and it's really fun because it's such a great way to meet other improvisers and see what they're doing and and just sort of get a feel for it. There's like every improv scene sort of has its own feel, you know, in different cities Right, yeah, and, and there's a growing one here in St. Louis. I'm sure I've mentioned on previous episodes of the podcast, or maybe people that listen already know that that's one of the many creative things that I do, teach and perform improv. And and not everybody that does improv is into uh, the musical aspect, because it's like another level, advanced level of, of challenge that 
<laughs> intimidates a lot <laughs> right. of people, right? Um, but I'm having a blast uh, doing it. So this is really a, a yeah a thrill for me to to, to actually be able to, to interview you and find out more about you. I guess it's safe to say that a lot of people know of you from your association and your work on Whose Line Is It Anyway? However, I know that you is a lot more to your life and your career than that uh, show. So, so yeah, I'd like to find out more because I know like you play in a band called The Sweet Potatoes. You have albums of original music out. You've got the karaoke improv. You know, there's a whole array of of things that we're gonna squeeze in here and, and, <laughs> and find out what makes you tick in your particular. Uh, approach to you know a, a successful career in the arts but why don't we start with just like your background like what led you to what you're doing now I'm, I'm really curious about that journey if you wouldn't mind sharing um well I grew up in Chicago and I started out there I went to school there and I was I really started out sort of doing a little bit of everything uh, I was playing in bands I was in a wedding band I was in original bands I accompanied dance classes I I did everything. I did piano bar. I did theater. I did everything I could. And because for me, it was all interesting. And I felt like it was all sort of building my musicianship. Mm-hmm. And then my last, as I was finishing college, I got hired at Second City as a musician. I'd actually been working there as a waitress first. Well, that's interesting. Because, yeah, cause yeah. I, didn't re- I don't think I realized you were originally from Chicago. That's the home of the Second City. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's funny. So you started, as, I, you always hear about these people that started in the mailroom and worked their way up right. or whatever. But, wow. Actually, I was even a coat check girl before I was a waitress. <laughs> that's how I, and then I took a big cut in pay and became a musician because the waitresses <laughs> made way more money. That is so sad. State of the but, yeah, yeah, it says a lot. But I, I mean, I knew improv from gr- growing up in Chicago, and I knew Second City. I'd been there many times, but I wasn't specifically wanting to be an improv musician. I just wanted to be a musician. But when I got hired, I was like, "Great, yes, you know." And it turned out to be such a great experience for me, not because I really got stage time and I really learned about being a performer and being part of a performance team. And I've seen pictures of you on your website playing the guitar. Is the guitar and the piano uh, or keyboard your, your primary instruments? Piano is my first instrument, for sure. So, And with okay. Second City and On Whose Line, I play piano. Right. I've been playing guitar. I started later because I wanted to be having more mediums for writing. Right. And and so I know that uh, that playing the piano with an improv troupe is the typical instrument because I, I play the guitar with mine, which is a little different, but still works. It's just an, another, mm-hmm. another way of accompanying. But not every musician. I mean, it's probably a, it's actually a rare musician that's able to work with an improv troupe. You have to be very versatile, uh, very in the moment and be able to. You know, just like the improvisers who are acting, you have to be able to jump right in with the musical accompaniment, right? Yeah, and you have to be really flexible. There are far better musicians than me who aren't necessarily good at doing this kind of improv because of the way that you you do have to be flexible and you have to, it's sort of a half and half of that you're leading and being led at the same time, Right. Well, yeah, you can't just sort of go full steam ahead because you're always you're always listening and connecting with what the actors are doing. And I'm sure that you're um, when you perform live. Like I know, I, I know. It looks looking at your website that you've gone on tour. You know, with the with the Who's Line cast and and also you know with Second City. 
you have a lot more that you do in those shows than on because on whose line you just accompany on certain musical bits right. but, but it is am i correct like in the second city type of things you're there in the middle of a scene somebody says something and you've got a sound effect for it you just jump right in you know you add things to different scenes right right, right. you you there's definitely more playing you you're also you also play between things right. as a way to sort of keep the ball in the air and keep the energy moving and and all of that so there's that but then you also yes there's and there's underscoring and i love underscoring like i love doing um long form stuff like like make a musical because you get to underscore and connect the scenes and then you're functioning in another way. So there's a lot of different ways the music can function within improv, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yes. And whose line it's very limited in a lot of ways. Right. You know, I guess the way you're describing that, it's almost like a film score, like the music enhances uh, this, whatever scene, whatever's going on. And you got to do that in the moment. (laughs) Yes. And, but that's, yeah, that's definitely part of the fun because you're reading the rhythm and the, the vibe of the scene as it goes. That's awesome. Just this last summer, we did Who's Line Live in London. And that was a live stage show, not recorded for television, but, you know, in a big theater in London. And uh, Linda Taylor and I both went and we got to do all that stuff. We got to do underscoring and between stuff. And so it's a little more of a full... <laughs> And we even got to play uh, beforehand and at the intermission, at the interval, as oh, they say. Oh, cool. And we got to jam. So, uh, yeah, so you get to you get to just play more. Oh, you yeah, know? I bet you that was fun for you. Yeah, awesome. yeah. So you're working, so you become the, the accompanist or the, the, at, at Second City, and then, yeah, where, where did things go from there in your career path? Um, <laughs> yes, so, so I was doing that. I was also uh, doing stuff at The Annoyance, like writing original musicals and doing, you know, The Annoyance would do these half improvised half scripted musicals was one of the things we were doing and 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 also playing in bands and doing all that and then we moved to LA because my husband Rick is an actor mm-hmm. and uh, he got a series so we thought let's go for a year that was 24 years ago <laughs> <laughs> go for a year well, we'll go for a year and see what happens and when we moved to LA I was like I'm I'm gonna quit focusing on improv as much and really focus more on my songwriting and movie scoring and some of those other opportunities, which I did, you know, so I took some classes in scoring and and that kind of stuff. And then a few years later, I got a call to audition for Who's Line? And I was like, yay, I'm doing improv again. (laughs) Cool. Was it somebody, I guess it was somebody who already knew of your work through Second City, was familiar with you, recommended you? Exactly. And my my friend Ron West, who uh, I toured with at Second City, and then he was on the British shows, some of the British shows, mm-hmm. and then he was hired as a producer on the American shows, and they asked him to help find musicians. Oh, cool. So, yeah. So was the original American show, and I don't even remember what year that started, but was it originally Drew Carey was the uh, right off the bat for the American show, and you were you part of that first incarnation uh, in the U.S.? It's interesting. So I was part of that first incarnation, but it was they the first batch. We did six with the British host, Clive Anderson, oh. and then the American cast, although they'd all done the British show before, yeah. like Ryan had done. I guess Wayne had never done the British show, but the others had. So we'd use the British host. And we did this hybrid and shot it in the States. And then they did this test marketing to see how it went. And it got really good response. And then they had 
Drew become the host after that. Oh, cool. Do you remember what year that was? Um, that would be 97. Oh, 97, okay. 98, one, 97 or 98, okay. somewhere in there. Of course, we had a long stretch where, so we did like six years and then we had like eight years where we didn't do them and now we've been back for three years. When do you ever get a gig like that? I know. You know what I mean? That's pretty It's like working on The Simpsons or something. (laughs) It is, yeah. It's like a, well, it's like a house gig or whatever, you know, but only on a much bigger stage. And and actually, that's kind of a question that I had here. I was going to get, I was, I didn't know when I was going to throw, throw it in, but this seems like a a good point. So like a lot of creative people, no matter what their field is, they they would go, oh boy, only if I had some kind of a high profile platform, then I'd be set. You know, I was all these benefits that would come. And I'm curious as someone who has, yeah, years of exposure on national, you know, I'm sure international markets, uh, whose lines all over YouTube too. And, and even though maybe you don't have the marquee status of the of like Ryan and Colin, like the main players or, or whatever. But you're there every time, and, and Drew and and both and, and and Aisha Taylor is that her name? Tyler? Aisha Tyler. Yes, yeah. is the is the current is the new is the, is the new host. They always give you great props on the show. Mm-hmm. Laura Laura Hall on the piano. And so I was well aware of your name for uh, years. So what kind of benefit are there? Pros that come with that kind of exposure over years, or do you think people maybe overestimate? <laughs> The benefits that that come with with that, you know? Um, Well, there's definite benefits. I mean, in terms of in the world of improv, having name recognition, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I'm probably in in the U.S. the best known improv musician in the U.S. You know what I mean? So there are pluses with that. And like when we teach workshops and stuff, it certainly has been easier for us to get into that world of teaching and, you know, doing the workshops and stuff because of that name recognition, definitely. Um, but the other side of it is you still have to have the goods when you get there. You right. know what I mean? You like you deliver. still, yeah, you still have to know how to teach, you know, you still have to know how to do, how to do stuff. Um, in other worlds, it's interesting because, you know, in the world of improv, I'm super well known in other worlds. I'm not necessarily And so my name may sometimes help me get a foot in the door, but you're still kind of proving yourself again in every format. So if I'm up to do like right now, I'm up to write some songs for a movie for a medium budget movie. I'm in the running. If the movie goes, of course, they're still getting the funding and all that stuff. But the name recognition helps a little But really, they want to hear what I've done in that world. They want me to send them a film that I've scored so they know that I can do this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So even if it's a little foot in the door, you're still proving yourself every time. That's interesting. I guess it is very niche. And do you ever feel pigeonholed? Like, I know you have your own original music that's separate from the show. Do you ever feel like, oh, I would have been known for this? I mean, some artists are just grateful that they've got the exposure and some people get frustrated at the, oh, I didn't ever want to be known as this only, you know, and I'm just wondering if you ever wrestled with that, too. Well, a little bit, although I never feel like I don't feel like people go, oh, that's the only thing she can do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it, it may not be that whose line makes me be able to, like, get a bunch of exposure for my rec for my CDs with my bands. But I don't feel like people go, oh, that's all she does. And I don't want to hear anything else. And in fact, I like when people go, oh, 
oh, look, you've got all this other stuff too. You know, I, I love that. And I feel like in general, people are really open and, uh, and accepting of that. So I don't feel squashed in. Well, good. That's a great attitude to have. And so, and so speaking of those other things that you do, yeah, just go ahead and list like some of your like primary things that you do, like the sweet potatoes and you've scored, you know, movies and, and, and did a little acting yourself. Yes, and, a little yeah, so, bit. So what are those, what are some of those, uh, those high, you know, those things that you're proud of that you do that you've done in recent years that people should be aware of? Well, definitely the sweet potatoes is the sort of my baby, you know, that's where I feel, that's what I feel like is my sort of most personal art that I do in terms of the writing and the, um, not necessarily satisfying anything outside of our own creative parameters. Do you know what I mean? Sure. And that's, in a way, the thing I'm most proud of, I would say. And, and who's, uh, who's in that band and what style, how would you characterize the style? It's so, it's Americana. It's all acoustic instruments. I grew, you know, I grew up, like, I love Emmylou Harris and Patty Griffin, Dolly Parton, you know. So it's along the lines of that, um, Old Crow Medicine Show is another favorite band of mine. It's along those lines, acoustic, um, that kind of old school I, I hate to use the word country because then people think of pop country, but it's so Americana is the word that sort of covers that yeah. style. And the band is um, myself and my husband, Rick, who taught the workshop that you took. He's yeah. also, he also plays bass and harmonica. Awesome. And then our, our friend Kelly McLeod, who plays guitar and she writes as well. So both of us write. We all three sing. Lots of harmonies. I love singing harmonies. That's my, you know, like just rocks my world and i get to play i play guitar ukulele and accordion in that band oh how cool so i hardly ever play piano which is kind of fun because i write and play differently when i play those other instruments that's partly why i wanted to learn to play guitar in the first place was i wanted to have a wider range of writing and sometimes it's easy to fall into a rut with writing yeah you know and so having this wider range has helped make my writing feel like it continues to have breath and life in it. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's my baby is is the band. The other thing that I do a lot of is the workshops like we talked about. And that kind of started because that started from the improv karaoke CDs that I made. And how that started was people would email me all the time saying, can you send me the tracks for a hoedown? Mm-hmm. And I could and I can't because they're the property of the show, um, that specific music. And my friend said, well, why don't you do something kind of like it and send the tracks? And I'm like, oh, duh, of course I could. You know what I mean? So then I started making these tracks and then I was having lots of fun doing lots of different styles. So we did 80s and disco and hard rock and all these different styles. And they're, uh, they're karaoke style tracks for pe- designed for people to improvise to. So then we we did like an improv karaoke night where we had a bunch of our friends come and improvise. And we were like, this is really fun. And then we also made like an instructional CD that goes with it. So it kept just sort of building up all from this one idea of why don't you make a few tracks for people? And then we were like, well, we've done this instructional TV uh, CD. We should be teaching because we really like teaching. And so that was sort of how the workshops grew. So all of it kind of grew organically out of that one idea. 
So we do the workshops all over the country and, and in Canada and we've been everywhere. And that's a lot of fun. And that's Rick and I also, my husband and I, we work together a lot. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm running into more and more couples that travel together. My girlfriend Pookie and I, I know you didn't meet her when you were in, in town, but we've done a little of that ourselves. And that's a whole probably a topic for a whole nother episode. How, yes, to, how to get a yes, lot of your spouse on the road. Yeah. But, th- but that's really smart of you to uh, add products. I mean, I think this is a good lesson for any- anyone in a creative field. But what can you create other than because your live performances? Yeah, you have to be present. The karaoke CDs and the instruction things are more passive forms of income or extra, you know, ways of serving right. people and giving them value, but also being able to uh, to add to your streams. <laughs> right, know? right. And yeah. it's also great, like people are able to, if they want to learn like your group that does song prob in their shows. Mm-hmm. But if they don't always have a musician at rehearsal or when they work out, mm-hmm. they'll use the tracks to work out with. Or we actually know several people who use them for performance because they just don't have a live musician in, right. you know, in Bakersfield or whatever, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. like they just can't find. We're a scarce breed improv musicians. Yeah. I have to say where it's a lot of people. That's the biggest thing I hear from improv groups is like, oh, I wish we had a musician. Which is why I found, I guess, even in my little market, well, it's not even a little market, it was of St. Louis, it's a pretty significant mm-hmm, city right. here, and there's a, a thriving or a growing improv scene here, but I do stand out and people are attracted to me, and I guess because, uh, or want to play with me, because I have the ability to not only play the guitar well, but to improvise, and I've discovered that. It is a, a rarity. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I'm happy to be part of that. <laughs> it's, that right, it's and, and then... Group. It's so great because you understand improv, you know, improv, you know what I mean? So you're not just a good musician, you're a musician who understands improv. And that I think is why it's so hard to find someone is to find someone who sort of gets both elements of that. So this is a great overview. All right, Laura, I'm going to ask you a question. I like to ask a lot of my guests, like I always like to look inside the mind of uh, people that I admire who are successful in their fields and find out, you know, what they consider to be the important keys to their success. So if I were to ask you if, if there was certain beliefs or actions or key moments or whatever, and you can narrow it down to like three key things that are responsible for what you do in the world today, what would those be? Let's start with number one. I would say the first one is this improv idea of yes and which is the idea of being open to what comes your way. I would say my pretty much my entire career has kind of been a big surprise to me. You know what I mean? Like, had you asked me when I was 20 where I thought my career was going to go, I never could have guessed in a million years, you know. And a lot of the things that came to me, like starting to work at Second City was a great example, It wasn't in my plan. It wasn't in my, you know, what's your five-year plan? But it came to me and I said, yes. And I, at that point, decided to really try and figure out what made it tick. You know what I mean? Like really put some energy into figuring out what made it tick. How does this work? Which I think has been sort of the connecting driving force through all my creative life is is that curiosity about what makes something, anything work, what makes a movie work, what makes a musical work, you know. And the um, it that you're referring to is, is improv when you were made, made that offer? What makes it tick? Is that what you Yes, mean? yes. Okay. What makes improv work? What makes the music 
relative to improv work, Mm -hmm. what makes the live show and the audience experience, you know, the whole, that whole thing around improv. Yeah. And then what has to happen internally to do it? Mm, I love it. Right. Which is the being open, being willing to take the risk, being willing to fall on your face. That's part of the yes. And, you know, that's part of the excitement and scariness of improv. It's partly why the audience is there too, right? It's because there's the potential. And don't you find audiences are very sympathetic? So whether you're struggling or whether you're on it and being super witty, but a lot of people are afraid, well, what if I screw up? Well, actually that's kind of entertaining for the audience too. Right, right, right. And, And embracing it is part of, embracing the fact that you can and will screw up is part of, how you become a better improviser, I feel like. Yeah. And I've often um, said that uh, there are a lot of life lessons and philosophical aspects to, to improv, like this whole, yeah, yes and. I mean, so, pe- so many people resist things in their life, uh, mm-hmm. and if they were just to accept them and say, well, how can I work with this? And there's, there's another word in, in improv called you justify what's just been entered or what's just been said. What if you applied that to your life? Well, this weird thing happened that I wasn't expecting, and maybe I don't like it in the moment here, but how can I use this? <laughs> <laughs> right, my, right. You know, and so yes. it's a way to approach your career, your life, your relationships, you know, all, yes. all types of stuff. And I love what you said about, uh, and I think that's another thing that, again, somebody doesn't have to be an improviser to embrace this, but you mentioned the word fear and excitement. And so a lot of people perceive fear and they go, oh, God, I don't, I don't like that, so I'm going to resist it. Although if you can transmute it into excitement, which is what I love, the thrill of being on the edge and flying without a net in improv, but other people are intimidated by it. But you can also apply that to other aspects of your life, too. Yes, right? yes, exactly. And I would say other aspects of my musicianship, too, like people who say, oh, I get stage fright playing my instrument in front of people, for example, or singing in front of people. Of course you do. You should. Yeah. Congratulations. It, You're human. Like, yes, exactly. Exactly. So... If you say, yes, I get stage fright, and what does that do? What do I turn it into? How do I, you know, and that actually, in a way, you could say is part of what makes a performance really infused, you know, really exciting. It's because you're you're taking that, your fear and, and the uncertainty of performing on stage and turning that into excitement. So, yeah, for me, it, I would say it, that principle of yes and doing improv and sort of embracing that principle has helped me embrace a lot of the other things in my career that I've gone, well, there's a new step. It's a little scary. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it a shot. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. Be open to opportunities that come along. Yeah. Like, like being yes. asked, okay, I know you're serving tables right now. Make, could you take a pay cut and play the piano? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> cool. So I guess that was a, the number one key. Um, what's What else is on your list there? I'm, I'm curious if you're ready to move on to the next one. The next one I would say, and it's actually kind of related, is the be willing to reinvent yourself. Mm. And that has, as I, again, as I've gone through my career, you know, it, it does, it changes as you change as an artist, it changes as you age, it changes as the markets change, right? You know, when I started out as a musician, there were no electronic press kits. You sent your press kit out in the mail. You know right. what I mean? You'd send demo tapes 
to people when you were, you know, as a songwriter, you sent, we were still sending cassettes for crying out loud. You know what I mean? So like there's all sorts of things that have changed both in terms of marketing and social media and all that stuff, but also even the whole dynamic of how the business works. You know, when I was coming up, there were record deals and that was what everybody wanted a record deal. And now the whole ability, particularly for niche music is completely different because of the internet. So you can either fight that and say, well, back in the good old days, or you can figure out how you can, you can still be the artist who is you mm-hmm. and be true to the artist who is you, but in the context of sort of a new world and a new market. Awesome. I'm so glad that you said that because I, yeah, I hear so many Musicians in particular will come to mind with this. They, they complain about, I used to be able to count on the four days a week gig or whatever, and you know there are a certain way of doing things, and they just want it to stay that way. But of course, things always change. And it's like every generation or every era, had this, you know, there used to be a time when, when sheet music was the predominant music industry, late 1800s or whatever. And this right. crazy thing called radio and, you know, vinyl came along, you know, or phonographs and disrupted everything. But I think we pretty much accepted that, that shit. Right. You know? And even though I, I, you have to acknowledge that there's a real pain from people that have counted on a certain thing for their living and suddenly it's taken away. So I'm not denying that. However, yeah, you've got to be flexible. With, yeah. And just complaining about it only staying there is, is a sure way to live a rough life. You know? Yes. And you, get, you can get kind of fossilized. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I can get started about, you know, how music is devalued now and from Pandora to YouTube to, you know, you can go down that path, but the reality is that's where we are now and you can work to make it better, but it is, it's a different, it's a different world than when I started out for sure. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So the yes and principles, number one, embracing that, be willing to reinvent yourself, be flexible with changing times and yourself as you change. Right. That, that's, that's awesome. I know there's a, probably a number three coming up here too. Or if we've... <laughs> yes. So here, this, and this has been a big one for me and it sounds odd, but this is definitely a personal one is the reality that just because you have to work hard at something, doesn't mean you're not good at it. Mm. And I know that sounds weird, but like... Yeah, explain that just, a little bit, because I'm, I'm, I think I know what like, you mean, but yeah, I'd like to... I think there was a part of me, particularly as when I was younger, that was like, when you go to hear a musician play, you're hearing their finished product, right? right. And you don't know what all went into it, but you hear it and it sounds so fantastic. It's like seeing a ballerina. It looks so beautiful and so effortless. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I had to work hard to learn to play my instrument, I felt like, well, what's wrong with me when it looks so effortless Mm -hmm. in them? Oh, yeah, yeah. But the the reality is that the ballerina, in order to look effortless, spent hours and hours dancing. And the musician, in order to look effortless, spent hours and hours learning their instruments. And I would even say in the world of improv, which, yes, is spontaneous, but they've spent hours and hours learning to be a better improviser. Right. And there was this part of me when I was younger that felt like it almost discounted what I was doing, that I had to that I worked hard to get there, that I should somehow magically just be a 
brilliant improviser or be, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so you had the idea that, uh, oh, it comes naturally to them because look at them. It's flawless. And I have to work right. at this thing and not realizing they had to go through the same process that you're going through. Exactly. And yeah. I don't know why that took me a while. You know, I, I mean, I think I think all of us as artists have whatever insecurities we have, whatever, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not I'm not as good as them, you know, or whatever. And I don't know why it took me a while, but that was a big realization. And that when I let go of that, that I'm somehow supposed to be able to do it magically (laughs) (laughs) was when I was able to, I guess, was when I was able to let myself enjoy the process and recognize the process as necessary, but also enjoy the process and be in it more. When you mentioned that, that's one thing that I I have a feeling a lot of people probably uh, sense from, from you when they watch you on Whose Line, or when I when I was even doing the workshop with with you, you you have a great smile. Have you have people mentioned that about you or like you whenever like like Laura Harlow, you're always smiling and beaming behind the piano, <laughs> and so it always looks like you're enjoying the hell out of yourself, no matter what's going on. And uh, is that was that a premeditated thing? Is that just something that comes naturally to your face? You know, but that, the same thing I, uh, that I noticed. Well, you know, it's funny. Rick Rick always says, that's my, hey, I'm a musician with a gig smile. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working. <laughs> Yay, I'm working. But it is, and I do get great joy out of what I do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do, get, I do get great joy. I love teaching. I love doing Who's Line. I love performing. I love singing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess I've given myself permission to uh, to show that, to let that be because I I feel like that's part of who I am as a performer. You know what I mean? Like I don't have to be all cool and badass and not, you know, not look like I'm having fun because the reality is it's really fun for me. Oh yeah. And it shows. So is that an amazing interview or what? And that's just part one. I'll be back next week with the second part of my interview with Laura Hall. So if you're not already subscribed to the podcast in iTunes or in Stitcher or wherever you subscribe to podcasts, now would be a great time to do so, so you don't miss that second part of the interview. I've got links to do all of those things in the show notes, so please subscribe and just uh, be ready. I believe it'll be next Wednesday. It's the date that I am uh, releasing these podcasts every week, so stay tuned for that. There's more coming. And again, if you'd like to register to win a free ebook version of my new book, The Empowered Artist, just go to empartist.com and look for the little link there where you can register to win. Thanks for listening. I hope you were inspired. Now it's your job to take that inspiration and do something with it. Take some action, get some results, do more with your art, impact more people with the gifts that only you can bring to the world. Have an amazing day. I will talk to you again soon. This is Bob Baker saying so long for now. Yeah.